coming in now of an awful tragedy on Galveston Island. A tempest, terrible beyond description, battered the city of Galveston and surrounding areas throughout the day on Saturday, turning the town into mere wreckage at the bottom of a raging sea. Waves exceeding 15 feet in height. Preliminary reports from the Bolivar Island Lighthouse have spray reaching beyond 115 feet. From about noon, families were forced from their homes to the highest points of the island, all huddled together regardless of race or creed. Venturing into the streets that afternoon or evening was guaranteed death, according to some. Early Sunday, the floodwaters began to subside, leaving hardly a habitable dry building in their wake. One report describes eight bodies lying along just a couple of blocks of Tremont Street, four in one yard alone. Truly, the dead are too numerous to count. Many washed away, the rest lost amongst the wreckage of the port town. They will surely number in the thousands. Many of those that remain will face utter poverty. I question whether this town could ever recover. And then we learned this from, uh, from a historian, a fifth generation historian that lived here in Galveston. Um, they actually found out her name was Audra. As her, as her fiance would settle in and out of the port of Galveston, she would stay here in room 501. And when it was time for him to return uh, back to Galveston, she would take the elevator up to the eighth floor. Once you get off the elevator on the eighth floor, she would take a small stairs uh, that led up to the, the west turret. And then she would sit there, you know, shaded from the weather and the sun and everything, and stare out and see and wait for her, her fiance's return. Well, it was a mighty storm one day. Uh, the ship went down. She did learn this, and in her despair, she she took the the stairs up that one last time to the eighth floor, to the eighth floor turret, and hung herself. But that's not the saddest part of the story, because a few days later, her fiance did return for his fiance and you know unfortunately there was a wedding that was never to be so they you know she is our long-term ghost who unfortunately has not checked out she is very much to walk the walk the halls and has been seen by, by quite a few I guess it was about a month ago. Uh, we had a gentleman that uh, 
that checked out, I mean, just really, really quickly at 3 o'clock in the morning. He just ran downstairs. He was bawling. Our night audit uh, manager spoke with him. He had a photo, and he was saying, he says, I tried to talk to her all day. He said, this is the reason why I came. I tried to talk to her. You know, she wasn't saying anything to me. I couldn't see her. But all of a sudden, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he was still trying to talk, and all of a sudden, she, she appeared. Now, he had a photograph of a hand that was reaching out to her that, you know, that looked like a lady's hand. Now, we offered to move to hotels. We we offered to move in rooms. He wanted none of that. He just wanted out. So, but um, Rick's our manager. I mean, like I said, he was actually crying, and she started crying from, from him doing so. I don't know. You know, they say empaths or something. They feel, you know, others. But um, it really upset her, and, she, and it's hard for her to talk about it to this day. And in 2011, we actually had an older couple that uh, was staying here in the room, and they had one of the drawers on uh, the Chester drawers open up. And they looked at it, and they were like, well, Audra, you opened it, close it. And then when they said that, it closed. Oh. So, the, the, so the husband was like, okay, well, let's do this again. Wow. And it's like, well, you did it once. Can you do it again? And it opened back up. A room service attendant, uh, he was deliver, delivering an amenity up. And usually when they bring an amenity, they bring it out. And we have like pull-out shelves here on the, the little cadets right. of the Chester drawers. Mm -hmm. And they'll set it there. He said that when he opened that door, he said the lights came on and he just felt a rush of cold air. He sat right there, right next to that photograph, right when he walked in the door <laughs> and left. <laughs> he wanted no more of that. So, um, well, that, that gives you a little bit of a history on the room 501. I saw that hotel and I was like, that hotel, something. I, I know I've seen that hotel somewhere. And that's exactly what we did in Virginia City when we were like, we were just driving through Utah across the salt flats. And I was like, Virginia City, that place is haunted. And then I was like, that's the place on Ghost Adventures where they got that video of that ghost. Yeah. And so I saw the Galvez. I was like, let's go stay there. And we did. And we stayed on the fifth floor. But nothing really happened. But when we went back with my parents, it was Monday night, and it was the first Monday night of football season because we went right after, you know, right after season. We had adjoining rooms facing the ocean on the fifth floor, and I went to get some ice, and I was walking out into the hallway, and I could clearly smell pipe smoke. Clearly. Right. And there's signs posted everywhere, don't smoke, any of that. And I walked back to the room and I was like, okay, I know this sounds crazy, but I know this is one of the things that they had reported about this place. It smells like pipe smoke in the hall. Marisha walked out there. She was like, yeah, yeah, it does. And then dad came in to kind of say goodnight or whatever. Sadie was sleeping in there with Gigi, my mom. And... I was like, Dad, go into the hallway. My 75-year-old father, he does not have time for this kind of business, but he did go into the hall. And he came back and he was like, yep, I smell it. And I was like, oh, if he's admitting to it, you know? And then he was just like, I'm going to bed. No more time for this. But then I, I was even texting you yeah, like yeah, when I, I was standing there in the corner of the hotel the hallway kind of tees and that 505 is right there so were you guys on the fifth floor or did you had to go to the fifth floor right or you no, were we on stayed it? on the you fifth on floor it. did you ask for that did you look up about it yeah the first time we did and yeah 
You've heard that EVP. Yeah. It clearly sounds like there's at least a response, if not like, I mean, I think it's like, yes. Yeah. When I say, is there anybody up here? Follow us on Twitter at OK Talk Show. You can find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash OK Talk Show. Website is oktalk.podbean.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast app, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, and leave us a review. It helps us big time. Welcome to OK Talk. My name is Clinton, the Red Dragon, the BHC, Draco Rojo. I'm Matt. Matthew. The Stoke. How was Galveston? It was good. It was good. Um, How often do you get down there? You know, we used to go. I used to go a lot as a kid, but um, I really hadn't been. Like, I hadn't been since Katrina, at least until a year ago and we just decided to go and then we're all about it and went back so i don't know i've been three or four times in the last calendar year probably yeah it's a cool place i want to say i was there in the spring maybe it's been within a year i was down there i only got to spend the day down there though i never get to spend as much time there as as i want it's a cool city it is. It's uh it's really eclectic. And I guess uh that maybe has something to do with you know that it's a port city. I think so. I think I I think there's always something weird going on with coastal cities that just draw in right. crazy people. I, I mean I guess because it's historically it's the landing point, so that's where people congregate. And you get these weird mixes going on, but there's always something wild going on about a city that's on the coast for some reason. Yeah, this um, this Galveston book actually, or this book about the Galvez, actually references the fact that part of its charm was the idea that the rich and famous and the world elite are coming in on these 
big ships, you know, and that was part of the lure of Galveston. But yeah, but in reality, it was mostly immigrants. You know, it wasn't right. like it that's, was, that's what they sold you on was oh, there. There are some rich people on those boats. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's so many other people, too. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that Galveston is like the Texas version of New Orleans. It's not quite the same, but I feel like they they share a lot of just kind of that same vibe. I, I, it's just that feeling you get when you go down there. Right. Without even really thinking about it, just looking at the architecture when we were there about a year ago, I told the family that this sure looks like a little Gentilly, you know? Yeah. W- with just the architecture and the colors of the houses. And there's been a lot of renovation to save a lot of those older houses. Yeah. Since was it Ike? Was Ike the one that hit Galveston um, most recently? There was Ike and there was Rita, right? Was right. Like, Maybe I'm thinking about Rita. I don't remember which one was was first. Yeah. But Rita was the one that was bad. But yeah, there's that it's that mixture of cultures. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I didn't realize that, I don't know, I'll just go ahead and say that the, you know, the last time that we were there, well, I actually really couldn't believe how quote unquote active it seemed that the hotel was when we were staying there. Uh, the, the paranormal? Yeah. Active? At, at the Galvez. At the Galvez? On, on the fifth floor. The haunted floor? Yeah. But. This last time, I mean, nothing. Didn't even. But you got a more in-depth look this this last time, though, right? Yeah. Just so happened that the media tour was that Thursday that we were down there. And I had already, you know, emailed and contacted Christine Hopkins and said, you know, hey, I'm coming down. I'd like to talk to somebody. And it just so happened that they were doing a media tour that Thursday night. So it just worked out. So Marisha and I went and uh, there was really, it was a really cool little group. There was a group from the Houston Chronicle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was like a photog and a reporter and this, uh, this lady reporter, she's a younger girl had just rolled in off of a 17 day camping and driving solo expedition where she just like went to the grand Canyon and up to Yellowstone. and was just driving all over the place and camping by herself. Was this for a, a story or was she just doing it? You would think, but no, I don't think so. She was just like, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> she, uh, it's pretty uh, wild. Yeah. She went to school, maybe uh Syracuse or something like that. So uh-huh. she'd been down about less than a year. And was just like, I'm going to take off. And so she had really just been back in town for like a day. And then she had gone to like eight or nine different haunted things like in the last 24 hours. To write about? Yeah, for a piece that's coming out, I'm assuming, very soon. The month of October. The month of October. (laughs) Which, yeah, so I guess this weekend, the beginning of October, this is when they're starting the ghost tours and... And that's what you went on. They gave you kind of a yeah. We, a we got to of that. we got to do the the tour. They're really awesome. Melissa, the girl that 
did the tour is terrific. The Galvez is magical place. I mean, I've only ever seen it from the outside, but it was all it was one of those things. It stands out when you're down there driving along. I forget the name of that street, but it's the street that runs right along the the coast. Uh-huh. The Strand or whatever. Mhm. And you can always pick that hotel out when you go by it. It it's very distinctive. Yeah, let me just uh let me give you just this this little bit of history from this uh the Hotel Galvez book. It was always big news when a national celebrity visited the Galvez. Bigger still when the celebrity was the president of the United States. The social event of 1937 was the arrival of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Regardless of politics or party affiliation, nearly everyone in the island raced to make the president's trip a memorable one. Ike Kempner turned the Galvez into a temporary White House and made it the media capital of the United States. W.L. Moody Jr. invited FDR, who arrived on his presidential yacht, the USS Potomac, to join him on a fishing trip. No doubt Sam Maceo would have invited FDR to one of his clubs, except that Sam was in New York facing federal narcotics charges. The feds had arrested him at his penthouse suite in the Galvez. Nice. It turned out that the drugs had been planted in Sam's car by a local prostitute in an attempt to frame him. <laughs> Sam was eventually acquitted with the aid of the Galveston lawyer Louis DeBrill and some high-priced New York legal talent. The island similarly went nuts in 1949 when General... And future president Dwight D. Eisenhower came to town. Ike spoke at the Pleasure Pier Marine Room to a crowd of 2,000, after which he was swept off to a reception at the Hotel Galvez. He was booked into the presidential suite where he gave interviews, but apparently did not spend the night. According to newspaper accounts, the oilman Sid Richardson met Ike at the hotel late that same day and took him off to Rockport for sequel hunting. <laughs> In June 1955, President Richard Nixon... Vice President Richard Nixon at the time, excuse me, stayed at the Galvez during a speaking engagement to members of the Texas Press Association. In September 1959, Senator Lyndon Baines Johnson and his staff occupied Suite 220. On a less auspicious occasion, but still part of the Galvez lore, Jimmy Webb, composer of the song Galveston, arrived at the Galvez in April 1969 in preparation for acting as Grand Marshal for the Island Shrimp Festival. This actually didn't have the information in it that I wanted. <laughs> But it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah. What? Well, how old is it? Mm, so nineteen eleven. So it went up after the big hurricane. Yeah. Part of the great rebuild. Six thousand people died. Deadliest, deadliest natural disaster, I believe, in U.S. history. That's a that's a very interesting part of that uh, city's history. You right. wonder, like. I mean, it's it's obviously a thriving city now, but you wonder how things would have been different if that had not happened and basically wiped out the entire city. Right. And that was the storm of 1900. And then there was a fire that swept through a hotel two years before that in the same area. But yeah, it was actually the Galvez was built by local businessmen pooled together their resources and spent one million dollars to build this hotel in 1911 right to uh prop up galveston into a seaside attraction city unfortunately when houston became the port city that it is now the island kind of got you know people were just going directly into the houston port instead of the port of galveston right so it always kept galveston at like a 
mid-level. You know, it wasn't as grandiose as everyone wanted. But, I mean, history of gambling. Lots of shady things have happened there. Uh, held that Nick Pizzoluto book, Galveston. <laughs> it's no right? it's, <laughs> it's no coincidence that... That that's the city <laughs> that he chose? You yeah, know? exactly. Of course, Robert Durst, which... <laughs> Still blows my mind. One of the craziest. That story continues to be crazy. Yeah, it doesn't end. Yeah, is he? He's just awaiting trial now. I, I guess. yeah, he was uh, extradited. You know, in a New Orleans hotel room. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because they were wanting to keep him there. Yeah, he had a wig in the room, <laughs> and like fifty-five thousand dollars cash in a bag. But yeah, that's where the... What a lunatic, man. What a lunatic. <laughs> that whole story is just insane. This dude cut up his roommate, threw him in the in Galveston Bay, and the jury let him off. Mm-hmm. So what's crazy is uh, I had read, you know, they never found Morris Black's head. Right. One of the things that locals say that they're convinced of is, so like two doors down from this it's a normal house, but it's broken up into like a, a quad apartment building. Right. Two story. But like two houses down on the end of the block is this huge mansion with, uh, you know, walled off gates and the like. And so apparently right around that time frame, Durst booked like a viewing at that house because he wanted to buy the property and the property was vacant. And so he had his, you know, his family real estate people or whatever set up that he could view the property. Uh huh. And a lot of people think that Morris's head is in one of the like nine chimney stacks at that house that he just got in there to deposit the head. Mm -hmm. The sole reason <laughs> he never had any intention of buying this fancy place. I mean, why was he to... living in an apartment for $300 a month? Yeah. You know? Have they not tried to look? Is that is that too much? You know, this could all just be internet <laughs> fodder. I'm just saying that's like some of the things that I came across while looking up some of Galveston's odd places. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've been looking into a lot of the kind of the history of the island and one of the island's most famous occupants of the past is the pirate Jean Lafitte. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because there were Indians there, right? At, called the... Karankawa Indians, the local native tribe, right? When these people show up and obviously today it's the first thing that you hear about them is that they were cannibals, that they ate their enemies. This, this tribe, this tribe, right? Yeah. And that Jean Lafitte, you know, he had a house over there and he got along pretty well with these guys would joke around with them or whatever. But, you know, obviously at one point there was a skirmish that broke out because of course, some of John Lafitte's men took either one woman from the Karankawa tribe or took one woman each. The details are hazy. And then while they ran off, you know, the men from the tribe came after them. John Lafitte's troops show up and shoot all. I mean, they basically slaughter them. Yeah. And that location, I think it's called Three Trees. I sure hope I don't have to go back and change that. I think it's called Three Trees. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's you know there's a there's a big mansion that's built there, 
called the Stewart Mansion. And that's the area of Jean Lafitte's old fort was there. And so after he slaughters all of these or whatever, has this battle with the Karankawas, after his men stole women, you know, from the native <laughs> tribe, pirates. I mean, let's be honest. These people are pirates. Yeah. You know, he was pardoned after his participation in the Battle of New Orleans and immediately just set up and started doing the exact same thing that he had been doing before, <laughs> you know, robbing Spanish ships and, you know, doing what pirate do. I guess whenever he finally like got in trouble with the United States again and they ordered him to leave the area, he burned that fort down. Well, so anyway, that area where that is, there's this mansion on there called Stewart's. These headphones are too big for me. What kind of fathead wears these things? <laughs> that location, that mansion that's on that property, that's the one where I sent you those pictures that it's been abandoned for forever. Mm-hmm. And... But yet when you go in it, like there's giant murals of pirates painted on the walls. Yeah. And it was owned by the people who own this uh, Stuart Tile company. They have a beach named after that family down there, too. Did they abandon this house? Yeah, I guess like the son at one point took over the house whenever his parents died or whatever. Whatever, I don't know if he just crashed the company into the ground or what, but, you know, there's everything said about from he killed the members of his family and stuck them off in the walls, which <laughs> people are like, that didn't happen. It seems know? to be a running theme out there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, he killed him and put him in, in the chimney. Uh, but just recently, a family there at the beginning of the summer bought that property. It was listed as like on the endangered buildings list of Galveston. Talk about the creepiest looking place you can imagine. Right. And an area that as recently as a month ago, you could have just snuck into in the middle of the night. There's like some sort of an entryway parlor or whatever. And on the second floor, which is like flanked by a banister of stairs or whatever, a mural up there of like pirates boarding a ship. Like one of them, you know, has got a knife in his mouth and he's like got his leg thrown up. So it looks like they're like attacking the house. Yeah. Just crazy. But we didn't have much success in the way of like actually seeing anything or, and I mean, I stayed in that exact same room was in that exact same hallway where, you know, I was convinced a year ago something was going on. Pipe smoke. Right. And then this time, not really much of anything. They did give us a bunch of <laughs> EMF detectors. Oh, really? And in some of the audio, you can hear. I mean, they would just be going bananas, like, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in an old hotel that's probably got wires. Right. There could be any number of things. Any going number on there. of things causing that. But it did add to the fun. What a great time to go. When the weather's nice and... I've heard some audio from that. Are we going to have some of that? We are going to have some of that. Yeah. It's cool. That place is going to be like an ongoing thing, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating. It's crazy how old some of that stuff is. You know, we're talking about the similarities between Galveston and New Orleans. There's got to be some kind of a connection with the sea in terms of its energy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Or the Gulf. I mean, because I'm telling you that, like, when I was there, it there was nothing. Like, I can generally, I'm not trying to say that I can tell. I'm just saying it just, it was quiet. 
It was real quiet. Yeah. And it was actually busy at the hotel all weekend. And maybe that had something else to do with it. I think the, I think a year ago we missed a convention this year. There were like multiple overlapping conventions. You got to think though, like going back to history, how I think I, I forget quite often how important the Gulf must've been in, in that time period, the, you know, the colonial time period where people are bringing ships over and you've got this relatively calm body of water after you've just crossed the Atlantic and then now you're into the Gulf and you can make your way to New Orleans, you can make your way to Mexico or any number of islands that are out there. I have to imagine that that was a pretty hot spot Mm -hmm. back in the day, a lot of stuff coming and going. Definitely. So it's definitely been walked by the antediluvian kings of old, you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it has. Yeah. I mean, that was a just natural tidewaters. If we, if for nothing else, you know, the Gulf Stream right. brings things that happen, but not before Christopher Columbus. <laughs> nothing happened prior to that. I thought it was interesting that the Galvez is named after Bernardo de Galvez, but mm. He, uh, I don't think he actually ever set foot in Galveston. <laughs> well, it's a minor technicality. So, did you? I, I don't know much about the. You know, obviously, New Orleans has a very strong haunted scene. I assume that there's a good portion of that going on in in Galveston too. Uh, there's the Galvez, obviously, but there must be other spots that are that are pretty active. Yeah. People so check out when we were there. A body washed up <laughs> on one of the seawall yeah. juts that, you know, shoot off into the ocean and a jogger. It was actually <laughs> on Stewart Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, a jogger mm. one morning noticed a body and uh, it turned up to be, you know, a lady that had been missing. Like just fell off a boat or something or <laughs> no one knows. Fell off a boat. That's what they'd like you to believe. <laughs> Bet you a lot of people have fallen off boats, right? And been cut up and put into trash bags and dropped off by a billionaire lunatic, <laughs> stuffed into a chimney. Yeah, it. They there definitely seems to be. I mean, stuff like that right there. Just when we were there, a body washed up. Yeah. Certainly, if you were just doing your first ghost tour ever that you were giving and you were walking down the seawall boulevard and you wanted to be like right over there body washed up <laughs> ghosty but yeah um i mean there's a the whole western end of the island is its own too like that's where pirate bay is and that's where i mean it can't be good the gulf oil spill can it i can't imagine the bp oil spill <laughs> No, I can't imagine. It's good. I can't believe I didn't even think about it when I was down there, too, because generally this seems like something that I would have thought of. But, of course, I thought about it after the fact. But at uh, the network, we had a guy that got ill, and they said that it could have been, you know, they thought at first it was a flesh-eating virus. And when I was looking up to see kind of what that was all about, Mm Mm-hmm. Just that week, there had been a guy in Florida that like was standing in the surf and taking a picture of the sunset. And, you know, two days later, he doesn't have a legs because the thing just 
And of course, just out there in the water, just like there's no yeah, no tomorrow. And then after the fact, I'm like, good gosh almighty. <laughs> Is my leg tingling? <laughs> They're going to have to take it. Yeah, I want to go spend some time down there. I've never really got the opportunity to spend even a night down there. I want to, I want to go. I definitely want to check out the Galvez. I want to see that place. We could probably make that happen. I think we should. Now they're, it's top notch, you know, all the way. The people, the staff, everybody. It's very, very high tone. And yet it doesn't make you feel, because it's a beach town, you're in the fanciest of fancy hotels, you know, where galas and what such occur. Mm-hmm. But because it's a beach town, everybody kind of feels on equal footing, but they just say, hey, put a shirt on if you're going to walk through the, you know, <laughs> you're gonna, do us that. don't walk in the lobby, you know, do us that courtesy. <laughs> it's amazing. And a lot of the architecture, well, it's all original, you know, and it, it's a very Game of Thrones. They have like the sigil of the House Galvez, you know, what are they? If it's not the sigil, but what do we call it? The crest, the, the family the coat crest. Of arms. Yeah, coat of arms yeah. of Bernardo de Galvez, like, you know, lining the hallways. And- yeah. What were the sort of things that they told you on the, the ghost tour? Not to spoil everything, but. The the ghost bride one, that's definitely the most famous. And that's the one that kind of, I think, tugs at the heartstrings of. But what I thought was really interesting was that where the spa is, was kind of where that orphanage was. And they said that, well, they think it was really just like right down the street. But anyway. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. But the fact that that storm was so bad that they don't really know. Because, I mean, yeah, 6,000 people died and records lost. And I've seen numbers like over 200 children were in that orphanage at the time. And, you know, something like 16 to 20 nuns. There were so many bodies that they were loading corpses up on boats and taking them out and dumping them in the ocean because they didn't have anything to do with them. Yeah. And they didn't know what to do. It was, it was that bad. And then they all washed back up. Yeah. So it seems like everyone talks about the love Lauren lady of 501, but then they all report like children, you know? Yeah. That's one of the most pronounced both sightings and stories of people hearing kids, you know. And there's no specific stories about children that were in the hotel itself? No. Yeah. I mean, most of the stuff is pre-hotel, you think. I mean, the lady isn't. But so, like, the bar was transplanted from the Galveston room club or whatever. That was like the fancy swing speakeasy in town where, you know, organized crime activity took place 24 uh-huh. seven. And again, just the massive amounts of vagabonds and ne'er do wells <laughs> that have been in, in and out of that area seem to, uh, seem to prop it up. It, it certainly seems like there's a lot of things that have, occurred in that area that weren't pleasant yeah 
Not to mention the slaughter of the native people because we took their women <laughs> with ill intentions. And <laughs> that then small thing. They came after them with bows and arrows and they were like, oh yeah, we'll see you bows and arrows with cannon. Cannon, right. you know. They didn't even have muskets. <laughs> <laughs> kind of depends on who you talk to. There's a lot of that that's not, they're not necessarily proud of, you know. There's, a, there's definitely a, an air of, John Lafitte was a pirate that, well, he was a pirate, but, you know, he really, like, he was fighting Spanish oppression, and yeah, I guess that just goes along with any kind of person in history. I mean, probably other military figures don't have a... No, yeah, there's always... One bad apple can spoil the bunch, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's always more going on than what gets written down. Just imagine, you know, with the Caribbean just right down there. The whole pirate thing is fascinating, right? Yeah. And the stories about hidden treasure and because invariably pirates have to bail, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like every one of them got to a point where they're like, crap, I've got to make a quick escape. It's one of those things, too, that I, I think a lot about because I know that over time pirates have become, I mean, almost a cartoon, you know? I guess, I suppose, starting with, um... Disney? Yeah, Disney. And I, I keep, I, I'm blanking on the name of the... Like Treasure Island? Yeah, Treasure Island. And then, you know, getting all the way to Pirates of the Caribbean that we have now. Like, it's, it's, it's a cartoon. So I always think about what it must have been like to really be a pirate back, back in those days and kind of what your life was like. I doubt it's, it was the jolly drinking rum and sailing around the ocean and getting into scrapes and you know well i'm sure that there was a lot of drinking of the rum <laughs> sure but it, but no it's i mean it sounded like it was just like it a lot of other outlaw type lifestyles where it's you're living fast and dying young and, yeah you know you're escaping danger at one minute and then the next minute you're causing danger yeah. And then the next minute, you're just given to your excesses. All these little pirate cities were... Most maritime cities are that way. You have people coming into a port and leaving. Mm -hmm. There's an expectation of... There's no reason to... Uh, you can kind of let your inhibitions go because right. you're coming into a place that you're not going to have to be around. So the things that you get into, you're not going to be around to see the consequences right. for. And I'm sure you mix that with the sort of fatalism that comes along with living the life of a right or i mean a, a man at sea even if yeah. you just even remove the pirate but just someone who transports the goods that has to dodge pirates or yeah has to be on an ocean with you know zero radar to know when storms are coming just out of nowhere yeah you know there's got to be a, a healthy amount of i have to take advantage of what, what i can when i can because Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I may be washed off the deck. I may be attacked by something. I, right. You know, which we may it, run aground. Who knows? Which all of us should live that pirate lifestyle, <laughs> right? That tomorrow is not promised. Rape sure. and pillage as you please. <laughs> Steal Indian women. Yeah. Take them at will. That mystery of buccaneer lifestyle is fascinating. But like you were saying about just the Gulf being a being a Gulf city, the types of people that would come into a place like that, the 
immigrant wise. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why New Orleans is so crazy is because it has that French Creole. Right. A lot of that stuff originates in the island. And then you get into this like Santorian kind of uh, religion that's right. Mixed people, in come, and, people coming out from Haiti and mm-hmm. things like that. God, the Haitians. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't just the idea of the Haitians terrify you? It's frightening. It certainly does me. Yeah. It's one of those things where if I imagine myself in a situation where I'm lost in Haiti or something like that, I could just imagine things going bad real quickly. Oh, yeah. And me not having any way to get out of it. No. You would end up in a witch's cauldron. (laughs) Exactly. Within 24 hours. Exactly. There's no way. You would be the one that would be walking by when some brujo was like, bring me a gringo. (laughs) It came and found you quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not a super adventurous type, but, and so I got, like, I I even got that feeling just visiting the Bahamas. I remember, (laughs) I remember going to the Bahamas on spring break and we went into one of those big markets and guys are like approaching us trying to, trying to take our fit. Oh, we had just come back from a fishing trip. And so we had all this tuna and mahi and a shark even that we had caught. And we get we get it all. The the captain fillets it all, and we've got it in our little bags. And we're going back to the hotel, and then we just get descended upon by all these people trying to get our fish from us. I mean, they, they were trying to to trade with us, but obviously it was like have one cigar for this entire bag of fish, things like that. And I just remember being in that situation, thinking I'm gonna die. Like <laughs> the machetes are gonna come out, and they're never gonna find us. Meanwhile, a <laughs> spider monkey is rifling through your pockets yeah. while you're distracted exactly. with trade. And and meanwhile, the Atlantis Resort is like right around the corner or something Just like that. trying to make it back to Atlantis. <laughs> so when did you go to Atlantis? It wasn't Atlantis that we were staying at. We were staying at another, uh, we did go visit it, but it was in, uh, it would have been 2004. Mm-hmm. So my senior year in college, we went there for, for spring break. We stayed at, I forget the name of the resort there, but it was one of those all-inclusive resorts. We did go spend quite a bit of time at Atlantis because you could just go hang out and they have a huge dock in the in the back where all the millions and millions of dollar yachts that get parked back there are all hanging out. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a pretty, that's a look at the other side when you walk out there and saying this thing is. Yeah, the 1% lives fat yeah, in that way. Yeah, yeah. But that was a really cool, you know, we just went down and got a got a boat. But I, I remember just being so uncomfortable in that situation. People trying to bamboozle us out of our fish. Yeah. And kind of not not being able to deal with that, like that real kind of salesman-y type thing where they're like, oh, no, no, just give us, give us your fish. And, you know, <laughs> and so I can only imagine being in a culture that's not as welcoming to, to foreigners maybe or where you're just a mark basically by the way that you look let right. alone like we were never in any sort of danger uh in that to situation. your knowledge to my knowledge no right you it wasn't like you were in jamaica or anything. <laughs> mother mother ocean i have heard you call wanted to sail upon your waters since i was three feet tall You've seen it all You've seen it all Watch the man who rode you Switch from sails to 
steam And in your belly you hold the treasures you have ever seen Most of them dream Most of them dream Yes, I am a pirate Two hundred years too late The cannons don't thunder There's nothing to plunder I'm an over forty victim of fate Arriving too late Arriving too late I've done a bit of smuggling my share of grass I made enough money to buy Miami but I pissed it away so fast never meant to last never meant to last and I have been drunk now for over two weeks I passed out and I rallied and I sprung a few weeks but I got to stop got to go Just a few friends Just a few There's certainly some sort of a fascination, though, with the, that whole Caribbean rhythm and religion. And by talking about that, kind of walked into the thing that you and I were sharing earlier in the week. We don't really talk to each other so that we don't ruin any of this <laughs> gold, quote unquote. Right. We got to um, keep it as unspoiled as possible. Right. But I sent you that thing about the five most deadly cults yes. in United States history. And you immediately shot back with a, dude, did you read that Texas Monthly article? That's a wild article. That is not something, I remember when that happened and so hearing about it. was about 1989 it. when he disappeared, mm-hmm. Mark Kilroy. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I mean, I was young at the time, but I, I do remember hearing about about that stuff. While on spring break at Padre. Because that was around the time that we were going down. We we took family trips down to Padre. Did you? Uh, quite often, I I I love it down there. It's it's a very cool place. This this story makes it not so cool. Yeah, for those who 
who are actually listening to this program at the moment. Mark Kilroy, a college student, disappeared seemingly into nowhere in Matamoros, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Which is the the border city to South Padre. And South, I mean, if people aren't familiar, South Padre is at the, if you draw the little curve on Texas, South Padre is at the very, very tip uh, down at the border. I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of it for spring break, which is, that's what, why he was down there. Back in those days, you could just walk right across the border. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe they charged you well, according to a but, quarter to get back or something like that. But, but I thought the border was wide open, according to the <laughs> to, to the people who were talking about wanting to be in the White House. I thought it was a free run. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's what you would think. Mm-hmm. It certainly was back in those days. I mean, even we—I don't think I ever crossed there, but I certainly have been to Del Rio and crossed, and El Paso and crossed into Juarez plenty of times but uh that was a very popular thing for people to do back then was to go down to padre and then go over to matamoros and raise hell this young college student found his way into the hands of a santerian cult <laughs> that took him to a a family farm and horrific i mean so so evil that it sounds made up. It sounds like something that you that d- didn't actually happen, right? And that you tell kids like, "Oh, the Satanists, <laughs> the Satanic cult is going to get you." Yeah, that was the. Uh, they said that that kind of led to the Satanic Panic, which I love that as a band name. <laughs> satanic panic of the 80s mm-hmm. but how's that the case if this was 1989 that that happened I yeah mean, it, it seems like it was kind of swirling around fuel for the fire for something that was already reported yeah. to be something that you needed to be aware of but yeah so they straight up human sacrifice to the devil I mean this was I mean this was they had they drew their connections back to the Aztecs and mm-hmm. that type of culture, like sacrificing people, cutting out hearts, mm-hmm. drinking blood. Horrifying. Yeah. And the thing that struck me the most reading that, and I would suggest it, what, it the original article came from, I think, IO9, because they put together a lot of true crime stuff. But that, that article in particular about that was from Texas Monthly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you just look up Matamoros. Maybe we'll put it on the Facebook page. Maybe. What's our Facebook facebook.com slash okay talk show give us a like leave us a comment please so they would do these sacrifices and they believed that it would I guess they were ties to the there must have been ties to drugs and the cartels or some sort they were a family that had been moving mainly pot for a long time and then you know some of that had dried up and faction splintered and then all of a sudden they run into some lunatic at a club one night who offers to be their priest right and protect the family and it seemed like that dude just got off on figuring out the more insane things that he could make these people do right and they got to the point where they would hold these sacrifices and they would all drink from the the stew that was made with animal and animal human. and human and blood, blood and whatever else 
and they they would think that it would make them invincible to bullets. Mm-hmm. To the point where when the police showed up, they were like, "Shoot me, see what happens." <laughs> exactly. And there's just this weird nonchalance where they where they were like, "Yeah, yeah the bodies are buried over there by the fence." Here's our murder shed, complete with black candles. I mean, it's 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 cartoonish. It, there's black candles and feathers and what, whatever else is going on in there. Like actual cauldrons? <laughs> yeah. What was crazy is when they were saying that they were looking for Mark Kilroy, that uh, one of the tips that police got was from a psychic who said that they had a dream that... They saw his body lying next to a witch's cauldron, mm-hmm. which was exactly what they found in that murder shed that they had where the walls were painted red and black. And Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the smell on that property in general? Yeah. Were they- I, this was not, and this was not just one America. They had 15 people that they pulled out of there, I think is what they said. Yeah, it seems like it may have even been higher than that but not by much maybe that's just all that they knew of right or that they could find yeah they blessed that place and burned it down and there was another part that i that i liked where it was it showed the difference between the mexican authorities and the u.s authorities because the federalities were like we're not messing with this. Like bringing a bringing a priest. Yeah, like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like we need to we need to do some serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're ready to swoop sp- in. Spiritual. Because they get a tip that this is where this where the kid is, and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> these people are worshiping the devil. Yeah, but again, it's like a mixture of that Haitian voodoo, Santeria, mm-hmm. which is animal sacrifice. I didn't. Even, I didn't even get down to, to reading some of the other, some of the other ones. No, that one will set you back like a day just thinking about <laughs> yeah. how horrific and how many people you know. I mean, especially us being here that you knew who went to Padre and got hammered and walked into Matamoras. Sure. I mean, the idea of again, Matamoras is the kind of place where people disappear all the time. Just not necessarily high tone white kids from that are just in college. Yeah, well, I mean Mexico in general. Yeah, you don't pull that kid out because that's one of the ways that you know you get the heat brought on you. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to steal somebody that is gonna be missed. Yeah. I mean, if you're you know if you're going with the whole human sacrifice <laughs> thing, you're gonna want to get you a person that's an unknown, right? Right. I mean, all through college, even high school, that going to Padre and... It was no big thing? No. It was no big thing. And I was, you know, I was younger back in that in that time, but like I said, we would go on family trips down to, or, you know, out to El Paso or Del Rio. I forget the name of the town that's across the border from Del Rio, but we would just go across all the time, and we'd do it during the daytime. Mm-hmm. So I guess that may have made a difference. I was not one of two guys or something like that wandering across and getting into the bars. So we were mostly sticking to the little shops and things like that. But crazy to think that there were people out there snatching people up. Mm-hmm. Taking them out to... Crazy to think that you could just walk around out there and stumble upon peyote growing in the <laughs> wild. I don't practice.